Amen. Uh, my name is Jeremy Nelson, and I get to be uh, lead pastor of this church, and I am just really grateful to have people with us uh, again, and I'm grateful that you're still able to join us online. Uh, for those of you who will be in the next couple of weeks able to come and join us when we're open to kind of anybody and everybody, I think June 14th, but we'll be deciding that on Monday and get word out about that. Uh, I would just advise you come uh, probably a few minutes early. We're, we're as a church, we're always happy to see each other. You, you know, like when we're on Sunday morning, we smile, uh, shake hands. Usually we're not doing the shaking hands part, but you, if you could have seen the smiles on people's faces and just, just the delight of like seeing somebody you know and saying their name, we're family uh, and it's good for families to be together. And so... Thankful to be here tonight and looking forward to doing that more uh, in the coming days. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to look here in a little bit. Uh, But uh, as Mark just prayed, you know, a lot of our minds and hearts uh, are giving attention right now. And mine has a lot over the last couple of days to to what's going on uh, just north of us in Minneapolis. And so uh, before jumping right into the message today, and there's going to be some connections as well, uh, but I just wanted to to just pastorally seek to share a brief word uh, with us about that. I just feel compelled to make some comments. I don't always do that, uh, but like many, I uh, was just appalled uh, when I saw a video of the way one human being was being treated uh, by another human being, both made in the image of God and having great value before him. Uh, one of them, a man, George Floyd, is now dead. And uh, followers of Jesus, what should we do? Well, certainly anytime we see sin and injustice, we ought to be appalled at it. Uh, we, we, we run the risk of becoming calloused over time and seeing sin and injustice and kind of being okay with it. We ought not to be. We should, as followers of Jesus, support the rule of law, intended to protect the public, but we also acknowledge that in this fallen world, our system of justice populated with sinners like every other profession is not always just. We see the anger and the desire for justice on behalf of a number of people, many expressing that through peaceful protest, which they ought to do, some expressing it through more passionate and and destructive kinds of protest, which they ought not to do. So how are we as followers of Jesus to be salt and light in this kind of world? Well, I, I'm just thinking through that. I've been thinking through this a lot over the last couple of days. Well, one thing I think we don't do is we don't ignore sin when we see it. We don't try to excuse or justify sin or injustice in any way. But what we must do is we must acknowledge the reality of sin and injustice. We must examine our own hearts. We must listen to and speak for those who would be vulnerable or oppressed in any way. We must seek the truth and speak the truth. All sorts of things that we're called to. You know, and as your pastor, what I'm committed to is I'm committed to preaching to you the Word of God. I don't, I don't comb through like news headlines and then start preaching. I preach uh, the Word of God. But in preaching the Word of God, the Bible is not silent about the issues of our day and all sorts of days. And so when a passage speaks to issues of our day, then I'm going to go there. That's why a couple of weeks ago, I think it was just two weeks ago, talked about both racism and abortion. I wasn't doing it to try to make political points or to try to 
create division or cause an argument to take place, but I want to simply be a faithful steward of God's word as I seek to lead us to be a people that I hope really are salt and light in this world, living differently than the rest of the world. In a world full of division and hatred and injustice and all sorts of other things, that we would be people who live with great humility and love for one another. We want to be different as Christians. And so, um, I want to see Jesus exalted. Uh, That's what I hope happens through the message today. Uh, We are kind of in the middle of a couple of different things. One is we just got done last week with the first part of our series in the book of Acts. We went Acts 1 through 7. We're taking a break now. The next series, which I'm kind of excited about, need to start studying because we're starting this in two weeks. We're going to take a few weeks from like June through October about to go through the 12 shortest books of the Bible. Not the 12 shortest. We've already done some of them. So so 12 of the shortest books of the Bible. Five from the Old Testament, seven from the New Testament. Uh, Looking forward to to doing that together called uh, Don't Miss This One. That's what we're calling this series. Just uh, some weeks will just be one one book of the Bible for that week. Sometimes we'll take two or three weeks to get through a book. But some of the Bible's shortest books. But today and next week, we have a bit of a break before we start that. Uh, And so a passage that God has used in my life and heart many times over the last number of years since I've become a believer, but I've never gotten to preach on before is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And uh, and so that's where we're going to look today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Paul is writing a letter. That's what Philippians is. It's a letter written by Paul, every word of it inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's beneficial for the church there in Philippi. Paul is in prison while he's writing this. He's not in Philippi, that's why he's writing a letter. He's in Rome writing a letter to the people in Philippi while he's in prison. But he's not in prison, like don't feel sorry for him. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. In fact, in this letter he tells them, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I'm fine here. In chapter 1 he told them, listen, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have everything I need, I'm fine right? That's his message. And he, he desires for the church in Philippi to share with him this joy in Jesus, that Jesus being Paul's greatest treasure wants them also to treasure Jesus above all else and find joy. Joy is a repeated theme in this book in him. And so we're going to jump into chapter two, uh, where we see the themes really pop out of unity and humility. That's what we're going to look at. Now, we're looking at all of 1 through 11. Uh, again, in the description of the video, uh, there is a, there's a link that you can click on that will allow you to download sermon notes and application guide if you want to print that out. You'll see if you have that, uh, three points on there. Uh, again, today, we're going to spend a lot of our time right at the very beginning beginning of this passage, looking at verses 1 to 4. The best news in the passage is in verses 5 to 11, uh, which we'll get to, uh, but we're going to spend a lot of time on 1 to 4. It's because the reality is this. The church is made up of humans. Humans with differing backgrounds and different opinions and all kinds of different things. And when you have a bunch of sinful humans together in one unit, often division is a result. Kids, 
you've been living at home more than usual, spending a lot more time with your family uh, over the last couple of months because you haven't been in school and that kind of stuff. Division is real. Like, has it always been like one big happy family uh, for the last two months? Like, it's been pure bliss. Our family, we haven't had any arguments. Nobody's gotten impatient with each other, right? That's, I'm getting some head nods. Like, that's totally every family in our church. No, when a family, even a family who is committed to one another and loves one another, when we're together, we will experience from time to time the real threat of division, the real threat of selfishness and pride that starts to have an effect on everybody else in the family. And Paul recognizes that and seeks to warn the church in Philippi about it. So Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, uh, as is our custom. And again, if you're at home, you don't have to stand. But if you're here and you're able to, I would invite you to stand. I'm going to pray and then we'll read the word of God. So let's begin by praying. Oh God, you, you know my heart, uh, and so you know why I'm preaching this passage in part because it seems helpful for the church right now, but also in part because you have used this over and over again to, to humble my prideful heart. I just acknowledge before you a bent in that direction. I like to argue and I like to win arguments. I can often be driven by selfish ambition. And so God, would you uh, humble me even as I preach your word and would you give us soft hearts? Would you give us minds ready to be molded by your Holy Spirit as you work now through your word? Do that please for your name's sake. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Here's what God's word says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Be seated. I don't even need to preach. You just read that passage uh, and... uh, Man, I love the power of the Word of God. I want to help us to hopefully understand it more. Again, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We depend on the Holy Spirit not just to understand, uh, but to shape us by 
his word. So point number one, which I said we'll spend a lot of time on, is this. Be unified and be humble. That's the two commands we see in the first four verses. Be unified and be humble. That's a summary, basically, of those commands that I think we see there. But it begins with these kind of conditions. But not conditions like he expects that they haven't experienced this. Remember, he's writing to believers, so these are people in the church, and his expectation is that you, you have these things. So he writes this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you are a part of the church, you've been saved, rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, you have experienced this. You have experienced now encouragement in Christ, right? Any comfort from love. Anybody in Christ with your church family experienced comfort from love. How about any participation in the Spirit? Any affection? Any sympathy? So Paul's just going through this list. Here's things that you've experienced, right? You've experienced all of these things, haven't you? And so what? You who have had this gift given to you of all of these things, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection, sympathy, you've experienced these things, so what? That's what we see in verse 2. He says, complete my joy. Paul's just going to flat out tell him, part of why I want you to do this, I want you to make me happy. Complete my joy. It makes me happy when you are obedient to the word of God and I see you making progress in your faith. So complete my joy, Paul says. And then he really finds four different ways to say, be unified. I think really that's what verse two is saying, be unified. How does he say that more specifically? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You notice he even talks about mind here twice, being of the same mind and and of one mind. I looked in that phrase that is used 19 times only in the New Testament, and there's like three or four of them right here in this passage that we're going to look at today. Uh, So, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. He's acknowledging, now unity, let me just make sure we're clear on this, unity does not mean No difference in opinions. That's not what unity means. It means all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds with all sorts of different opinions about all sorts of different things living together as one, being in agreement. Now, what is the church together in agreement of? I think it's what we're going to see at the end. Jesus is Lord. This is what binds us together. There's nothing and no one better than Jesus, and we submit to Jesus as Lord. And so regardless of how many different backgrounds we come from and how many different opinions we have about all these different things, we are together as one in this. So that's the first command. Be unified. But the problem is this. How? <laughs> Because like, that sounds neat, you know, like even at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, they're, you know, kind of like the hashtag in this together. We're, we're all one. We're going to do this together. Uh, but it doesn't take long to see how divisive uh, our current culture and climate can be. 
So how do we actually do this? Like I said, in your family, you love one another, right? But how quickly can the family not seem like one happy, healthy, love-filled unit? It can, it can become divisive even within a family in a short amount of time. So how do we do this? Well, I think the answer comes in the next command. If you're going to be unified, if we're to be unified as a church, here's what we need. These kind of hearts. Humble hearts. Humble hearts. You can't have unity without humility. And so, Paul says this. Beginning of verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is the way the world operates. Motivated, fueled by selfish ambition and conceit. A desire to beat everyone and let them know that you're better. This fuels much of the world. That's what they do, but here's what we're to be like. Here's what Paul says. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. We're not looking at other people as competition to show in some way our superiority to them. We're looking at others and counting them more significant than ourselves. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Okay, again, this is the way of the world. This is the way of the sinful flesh. I'm going to look out for me first. I'm going to look out for my own interests. What are we to do? He says this. But also to the interests of others. So our first question isn't, is this going to benefit me? Our first question might be, is this going to be good for others? We live in a radically different way than the rest of the world because of who we are in Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is potentially easy to understand and really, really hard to apply, right? So the application question is this. How do we have unity and humility in a world of division and pride? The threat of division is always before us. Like I said, the pandemic maybe seemed to bring about some kind of unity for time, but it had been noted even before the pandemic that it seems like our current cultural climate in this nation is one of great division and polarization, right? And, and I think we, we see that even now. So let's just talk about this pandemic for a moment and, and what this reveals to us about how easy it is to become divided. So I made a chart because I like doing that. Uh, and I made a chart, and on one side of the chart, I put, uh, I put this. Uh, there are some who see as a great threat this novel virus, which it is, right? It is a great threat. And, and their fear is of the devastating physical health effects that come with this virus. And what they value is a good thing to value. That is the public health. They value health of other people, Right? This is how some of you are thinking right now. And so what you would push for is strict safety measures to be put in place. 
So we have some people in our church, certainly, some people in our community, some people in our nation, that this is kind of the end that they're on. Right? And then there's others who are on another side. They see, yes, there is some sort of threat with this virus, but they maybe see as a greater threat, this is maybe you, see a greater threat in this lockdown that's coming as a result of it. And you're fearful of the devastating economic and mental health effects all of this is having on people. And what you might value is personal freedom, which is also a good thing to value. And so your push is a little more, well, let's, let's reopen things. Now, in kind of the extreme versions of these things, we can have people over on this side uh, kind of like shaming everybody who chooses not to wear a mask in public, and the people over on this side ridiculing people who choose to wear a mask in public, right? So, so division, we'll, we'll, we'll argue about anything and divide over anything in our culture. It doesn't have to be an election year. I mean, that's plenty to divide over as well, but it doesn't have to be that. We'll, we'll have a disease, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll divide over that. We'll just find something to divide over. So, even discussions about regathering in churches can bring about potential division. Here, here's just a, just a comment from me as your pastor. I am so grateful. Uh, the, the leaders have given time and prayer, thought through so many things, and we're trying to do this in the way that we think, guided by the wisdom of God. That's what we've been praying for, is God's wisdom. I'm not saying, hey, we, we've nailed this, but I'm pretty content with the plan that we have put together and I'm especially grateful that I haven't heard uh, whining and complaining and grumbling and division taking place in our church because of uh, the decisions that have been made. Because there are some in our community and probably some in our church who maybe would be further on this side of the spectrum who would say, wait, you're going to have people gathered in that space in a couple of weeks? That's way too early. What are you thinking? Don't you love other people? Right, And there's going to be people on the other side saying, Whoa, why are we waiting so long? Why do I have to sit in a metal folding chair? Right? This is ridiculous. We should have been here three, four weeks ago. Right? So I recognize we have people with different opinions on this. So who's right? Well, we could argue about it, right? Division is a very real threat. We'll find stuff, not just in the culture at large, but in the church. We can find stuff to argue about, stuff that will divide us. And I think the enemy would love to see that happen, right? It's part of our culture and it's easy to get sucked in. But what if in the church we live differently than the rest of the culture and we don't let things like that come between us? Being unified is hard. Remember how Paul said it's going to work, though. If we're going to be unified, we have to be humble. So we also live in a world of pride, don't we? We live in a world where it's kind of like a me first, I win kind of culture. Verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. I mentioned earlier, that's what fuels us a lot. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. Now, we're spending a little more time at home, and there's been, you know, projects to do, time outside, all of that stuff, but I did get suckered into doing like a a seven-day free trial of a TV streaming service, 
and then I forgot to cancel it on time. So we're paying a month uh, of, a, of a free st- TV streaming service, which has given me an opportunity to check out uh, this ESPN documentary called The Last Dance, right? And it's very clear. I remember from when I was a kid uh, growing up, this is a, the story of the Chicago Bulls, especially focused on their, their final championship season. Well, not final. Maybe they'll do it again someday. But 1997-98 uh, with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and all of that kind of stuff. And as I've watched a few episodes of that, it's become very clear that Michael Jordan's an extremely driven man. He has in him this desire to make sure everybody knows that he's going to beat them. And so, so he wasn't always super kind to his own teammates because he was driven more than by love, it seems, by this desire to win. That, that's, that's kind of what I think Paul is talking about here when he talks about selfish ambition and conceit. It's on display all over in our culture from the top on down, isn't it? Selfish ambition and conceit, but Paul says this, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So what if in a world of division and pride, we as a church chose to live very differently? called to be salt. We're called to be light. And against some of the dark backdrop of division and pride in our world, wouldn't it be a great testimony to the world around us if we as a church chose to live in a different way? Unity, united together in Christ, uh, putting away selfish ambition and conceit, counting others more important than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what verses three and four are about. So I would just call us church to in a culture full of division and pride that we would come together in a world of racism and riots with different opinions about important things like pandemics and politics that we would just commit. We're going to love each other. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to agree together that Jesus is our greatest treasure. And that's what brings us together as one, right? Not, not some hashtag that somebody put together, but Jesus as Lord. We're in him. And so we are together. Jesus is our greatest treasure. So I told you to spend most of the time on verses 1 to 4. But 1 to 4 require verses 5 through 11. Let me just, uh, I I should just mention this. I put a couple of extra verses on the slides um, because I think they're important. The next chapter in, in Philippians, Paul writes this. Indeed, I count everything as a loss. Remember, we're living in kind of me first, I win kind of culture. What does Paul say though? Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to what? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's better than anything else. I'm willing to humble myself. You're not willing to humble yourself if you don't see Jesus as better than everything else. Right? You're going you're gonna to be a prideful person if you don't see Jesus as better than everything else. Right? We need to look at the cross of Christ. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. We need to look at Jesus if we don't want to turn into prideful people. And we need to look to Jesus more and more. I'm jumping ahead of myself. We'll get there in a moment. But Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Jesus said it this way. 
if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny, this, is, this is the start of humility. Denying himself, taking up his cross daily and following me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Division and pride are all over the place. They're displayed in the world and they're still dwelling in our hearts. We must acknowledge this. And if we acknowledge this and spend too much time thinking about it, we might think like, oh man, it's worse than I thought. It's worse in the world than I thought and it's worse in my own heart than I thought. So what hope do we have? That's what verses 5 through 11 are for. Because here's what it says in verse 5. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The good news is, for those of us who are in Christ, we have a new mind. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, we have the mind of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, for in Christ we are a new creation, right? The old has gone, the new has come. So yes, our former self, if we're just kind of living the way we've always lived and living like the rest of the world, we will be filled with pride and it will lead to all sorts of division. But that's not who we are in Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It already belongs to you in Christ Jesus. So we're called to live a different way and then we look to Jesus to see what that looks like. What does it look like to live in humility? How are we supposed to know that? Maybe we have some good human models of that. We have the best one in Jesus himself. And so verses six and seven talk about Jesus' humility in his incarnation. In Jesus who eternally existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always together in perfect unity, uh, not needing anything, but, but Jesus then giving that up to, to come and to dwell, becoming, stay, remaining fully God, but becoming fully man as well. Here's what it says in verses 6 and 7. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So we see Jesus' humility in his incarnation and we see it ultimately in his crucifixion, don't we? That's what verse 8 is about. Verse 8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the king, the king is mocked, is spit upon, is beaten, is humiliated, is nailed to a cross, and is hung there publicly to die a humiliating, painful death. This is what humility looks like. So if we want to know what humility looks like, we look to Jesus who lived and died for us. Look to Jesus Look to Jesus, the eternal son of God who humbled himself to be born as a human, to be tempted in every way, just as we are yet 
was without sin. Look to Jesus, the eternal son of God, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, crushed by the just wrath of the father because he willingly bore our sin in his body on the tree. That's what humility looks like. And so we must look to Jesus. And I hope you know, listening online, I hope you know that apart from Jesus, you don't have any hope. I hope that you hear this good news of what Christ has done, humbled himself to come and take on human flesh to live the life we failed to live and die the death we deserve to die in order that we might live forever with him. It's a free gift to all who would turn from their sin and repent and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Would you receive that gift today? And that is the last point. Jesus is Lord. This is good news. This is what we confess. I love how this passage ends. Jesus humbled himself and God the Father exalts him. Here's what it says, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus is better. No one better than Jesus. God the Father bestows on him the name that is above every name. Why? Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the right response, the only right response. And it will be the response, whether voluntary or involuntary, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no God before him. to the glory of God the Father. And so, is there application for us in that? I mean, I, well, let's sing, right? That's one point of application. Let, let's give our lives to him. Let, let's, here's, the, here's the truth. This is the good news. Jesus is Lord. This is the good news that we were saved to proclaim. We weren't just saved for our benefit, Right? We're counting others more significant than ourselves. We're not only looking to our own interests. It's not just about me having a ticket to heaven someday. Right? I'm looking to the interests of others. And what is the be- in the best interest of others? What do people need more than anything else? They need to hear the good news that Jesus is Lord. And for some of them, it's bad news first because they like to live like their Lord. And they need to hear the good news that Jesus is Lord. This is the good news that we were saved to proclaim. And this is the good news that compels us to live together in unity with countercultural, Christ-like humility so that the lost and dying world around us would know that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is... uh, so good to be together with other people who proclaim with me that Jesus is Lord. And God, it is true, and our desire is that more and more people would know that to be true. And Father, we don't want to get in the way of that. 
We don't want to be a stumbling block because of our tendencies towards division, disunity, and and pride, and selfish ambition, and conceit, and selfishness, just caring about our own interests and not those of others. We don't want to be like that, Father. We want to be like Jesus. And I thank you that for all of us who are in Christ, we have his mind now. Uh, That we have this mind, which is ours in Christ Jesus. And God, I thank you for the gospel, for the good news that Jesus humbled himself coming to earth, being born as a baby, fully God, yet fully human, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, tempted in every way just as we are, was without sin, and died the death of a criminal on a cross, bearing our sin, absorbing your wrath, and all of it willingly of his great love for us. And so God, I pray that that humility would motivate us to be humble and that we would be unified together around this great truth that Jesus is Lord and our hope is built on nothing less than him. In Jesus' name, amen.